You're listening to Back to the Light with J.D. Rieger. Wires. Hey, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Back to the Light. I am J.D. Rieger. And I feel like it's been a while since I've just spoken to you on the show, uh, but I've had a lot going on, both in terms of having cool guests lined up for the show, a trend that continues this episode, but also being busy working on other exciting projects. I'm talking about new bands, new songs, new albums, old bands, old albums, more collaborations, and, you know, just for kicks, a coloring book. But I can't really get into it right now, even though I would love to and I can't wait to. But my guest this week simply will not be denied. And of course, I'm talking about Ben Ricketts. Ben is a critically acclaimed musician and songwriter in Memphis, Tennessee. His new album, Songs for Ruined X-Rays, is out now at benricketts.bandcamp.com or on Amazon, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get music. I've known him for a couple of years now, and I've always found him to be a really kind person and an extremely engaging performer. And as it turns out, he's equally engaging as an interview subject. I'm, I'm really glad we got to do this. Here's my conversation with Ben Ricketts. So, Ben, thanks for being on the show. Uh, what's been going on with you, man? Uh, not much. Just um, promoting a record, and um, I'm actually I'm in the process of writing a Halloween EP, which I put out one a few years ago, and it seemed like a good time to start working on one again. But other than that, it's just been pretty chill, um, working on some artwork and things. But um, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, I have some of your artwork on the wall currently, so I'm familiar with it. Um, you seem, and I, I don't, maybe I'm just um, projecting a little bit, but you seem like the kind of person um, who might, um, you know, setting, you know, the strife and suffering in the world aside, but you personally seem like a kind of guy who might uh, do well under quarantine conditions. Is that, is that a correct assumption? Um, for the most part, I, pretty much. I mean, I, I, we, we go out a lot or, you know, we did go out a lot. Uh, we would go out to shows or we go out to bars or whatever. So there was that initial, uh, that initial kind of adaptation, but I read a lot. I work on a lot of music and a lot of artwork and I'm always trying to like watch new things or, you know, it's, there's been plenty of stuff to be, uh, to be occupied with at home. So, uh, after that initial, after that initial bump, everything's been pretty, pretty all right. Is this new record of yours, is, is it a product of, um, you know, quarantine creativity or had you been working on it uh, previously? Uh, this is actually, I don't think that I ever worked on a record as long as I worked on this one. Um, a lot of the songs I've been writing for a while, uh, Radio Kisses, one of the tracks is, I mean, I, I started recording it when I first moved to Memphis in June of last year, which I've like, I have never put out a song that I started recording that long ago. Like I've always re-recorded it or done new things with it or whatever. So some of the songs were super new. Like I wrote them, I wrote them in quarantine, uh, like mask from a magazine. I think I wrote like right before I recorded it. Um, tilt was another new one, but there are a few of them that have been cooking for like a long time. Like, uh, the glow has been in the works for a long time. Wires was in its second or third version. Um, 
So a, a few of the songs were were more quarantine, you know, kind of lockdown enabled. But a lot of the stuff on this record had been in the works for quite a while. It seems like the subject matter on this record is is pretty personal for you. Do you want to address what 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 the record might be about? Oh, absolutely. Um, so this record started as an album. It started kind of as a concept record about medical experiences. So my parents both worked in hospitals when I was growing up. And so like, you know, my days that I went to work with them, you know, if I was out of school or whatever, I would hang out in the, the, um, the break room at the sleep disorder center. My mom worked at, I would, you know, go down to my dad's office to visit when he was between, uh, between, he was a, you know, a nurse that worked in trauma at the time. And, uh, he had an office and I would go down and visit her. I would go to the food court and pick, you know, it was, it was like a weird kind of a, there's a weird nostalgia about, about being around hospitals. And, um, my wife actually had cancer and beat cancer last year. And so that was, that was a big thing when it all came down to it. Not much of that made it into the record. Um, a lot of the songs ended up kind of having, you know, little mentions of it or little details about it, but, uh, it came from a very, very personal connection to, to medical, uh, kind of stories and concepts. And like the glow, I was, uh, I read a book that my wife got me called the radium girls. That was about uh, radium dial painters. And I was writing all these medical songs and all that subject matter really worked in. But by the time it was over, it's still a really personal record, but it's personal and kind of, uh, in some different ways than I originally intended, you know? <laughs> Oh, for sure. For sure. And I find songs tend to, you know, begin about one thing and sort of take on new meanings later. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, the case here, but, you know, that's been my experience. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, there was, uh, of course, the first song on the record, Coughing, is like, I mean, it's immediately about Hannah, like after surgery. Um, I, I definitely wanted to ask about that one because that song, you know, just seems so you know it seems very obvious what it's about and seems very very personal and you know i admire um the frankness with which it's addressed well thank you can i can i nerd out a little bit about the the recording on that one you absolutely can so um there were about three different versions of that song that i that i pulled out live and uh one of them was this uh, this incredibly like flaming lips kind of thing where it was these pads and then it exploded into these big, like very Led Zeppelin sounding sample drums, you know, doing crazy fills and stuff. And which, uh, which is sort of a flaming lips thing. Oh the, yeah. Uh, it was. Yeah. It very, very much me trying to kind of get, get that feeling. And then there was a second version, I think that was more like synths and drum machines. And then the version that made the record, um, I was super late to the game on Rocky Horror Picture Show and Hannah showed it to me a few months back, but I became obsessed with the theme song. And uh, like I'm talking about, I was listening to it multiple times in a row. Like when I really love a song, I'll do that. And I heard the, uh, the reprise version from the credits and I wanted to, to recreate that kind of like somber, like somber, you know, uh, kind of kind of it, it, it feels the same way as uh on ziggy stardust how you hear the beginning of rock and roll suicide like this very somber like glam rock aside you know and uh so the version that made it to the record i was like it'd be so cool to start with that you know the chimes and the acoustic guitars and this very like kind of 
again, like an aside from a glam rock record and then exploding into all these electronics and things. So I'm super proud of the way that that song actually turned out when it all was said and done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that as a, as a reference point until you, you know, until you pointed out just now, but, um, yeah, that's funny. Um, I've actually got a friend up here in Chicago who's in a, a Rocky Horror Shadow cast. Are you familiar with what those are? I'm not, but I'm fascinated. It's it's people, they don't actually like uh, sing or speak the lines, um, but um, basically the the film is projected and then a cast of people sort of mime the show along with the movie. Oh, it's, yeah, I've heard about that. It's very interesting. I've never actually seen it to my shame, um, but um, it's it sounds really interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned earlier uh, moving to Memphis a couple of years ago, and I'm curious um, what brought you here. Or I say here like I'm still there. What brought you there to Memphis? Um, it started with music. Um, I really I came here a lot to play starting in like late 2016, and. It's strange because when you grow up in a place like Corinth, you know, uh, you have, you've got Tupelo, Mississippi, that's about an hour away. That's got a venue and it's got some like, you know, it's got one pretty good, you know, one venue I like a lot that does original stuff. And then you mostly just kind of have to make your way through cover bars and all that. And, um, of course I never really got into that world, but sometimes they would host songwriter nights and I would be able to go and, you know, play something there, but there wasn't a lot. And, as you know, growing up in Corinth and calling whenever you wanted to play a show, like, I mean, I've, I've been doing this since 2009, but it was very sporadic and I would just, you know, hit places up and say, Oh, can I play in your lobby or whatever? And, um, I had moved to Oxford and Oxford had a lot of music and, you know, not really as much as it used to, but had a lot of music, but I started coming to Memphis and playing a lot. And I met a lot of friends up there and I, I really are up here and I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I didn't come much. It was only an hour and a half away, but it was like, you came here to go to the zoo or you came here to do something, you know, specific. Like we came here for my 16th birthday, but we didn't just come here. And so it was really cool when I figured out that there was this big, you know, unexplored area an hour and a half from me. And I came here to play music and I just really started loving the place. And my wife is from here and they moved back from LA. Um, and that was kind of my last, like, you know, I was already planning on coming to Memphis and, uh, my employment contract at the university ended and I, I just came up here and I've been here ever since. You know, it's funny, Memphis doesn't always, um, embrace or jive, you know, with people, uh, instantly. Um, but it seems like the town really took to you, uh, even before you moved, like I, and I, I was always shocked that like, it seems it's always, it seemed like you were already a Memphian before you even officially moved. Um, it, you know, it kind of became a, uh, it kind of became a secondary home base. Like if I was going to tour, I wouldn't generally kick it off in Oxford when I lived there, I would kick it off in Memphis or I would come back to Memphis on the way home. You know, it was like, it was, it became much more of a home base. And, um, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about, about their experiences as, as musicians in Memphis. And it is an unusual place. Cause you know, it's, it's like a big city and like a big area, but it's still like on the smaller side of that. And like, everybody knows what everybody's doing. And, and it's very um, spread out as well. Um, you know, it's not, it's not very concentrated, like, like other big cities. Yeah, absolutely. And even, even within the music, you know, there's such a small part of Memphis that is, 
doing a lot with like original music, like in, in terms of just pure geography, like there aren't a lot of venues outside of that, that couple, you know, couple mile block in Midtown. Sure. And, um, I don't know. There's, I, I know a lot of people that talk about having weird experiences here. I have friends that have come and played here have said that they've never really had a great show in Memphis. And me on the other hand, like, a lot of my favorite shows were before I lived here, were coming here and playing, you know, even if it was a small crowd, like I always had the best time here, you know, much more than I say, did. Do you think that comes from maybe having different expectations or different ideas of what makes a good show in general? You know, it, it very well could because um, again, you know, a lot of my first shows and a lot of the shows I did for years were when I was playing acoustic, I would call somewhere and say, Hey, can I set up a show? I know musicians, I've got a small PA all y'all got to do is, you know, give me the green light on it. And uh, so I didn't, I don't know. I know a lot of people that have kind of uh, ideas of, you know, watching movies or whatever, where you see a local show and you've got all the punks out and, you know, there's a room full of people. It's like, I guess I realized early on that that wasn't, that wasn't the experience that most people were going to have and probably not the experience I was going to have. So, um, you know, if, if I can have, 10 to 20 people in a room and that they're having a, a noticeably like visibly good time. And I'm able to have that energy. You know, that's, that's a good time. Like I, that's okay. You know, I've played to bigger crowds and I've played to much smaller crowds. And as long as there's enthusiasm and as long as there's a, a genuine, uh, a genuine interaction between me and a room, then that feels like a good night, you know? Yeah, you you definitely have a um, a connection with crowds. I've only seen you play, you know, a handful of times because, you know, I've been in Chicago most of the time. You've been in Memphis, but um, uh, the times that I've seen you, I've always, you know, both personally felt, you know, really, um, you know, drawn in, and also just have noticed um, the way you connect on seemingly like kind of like a one on one level with you know with people in the crowd. It's it's kind of it's it's fun to be a part of. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Do you, um, is that a goal of yours connecting with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis as a, as a performer? Absolutely. Because I, I don't know. I feel like so many people, especially at this level of doing things independently, um, people either have almost kind of, uh, like they, they either don't really have that connection. There's a nervousness there or, you know, sometimes things can get routine and maybe people have a certain way they talk to the audience, but it's like, I don't know. I, I enjoy that. You know, I'll have little, little jokes or little things that I come up with earlier in the day to, to say about songs or whatever, but it's like, I, I genuinely enjoy that, that back and forth of, uh, of just kind of, you know, making things up during banter and having fun. And, and I, I think a lot of my favorite musicians, um, and a, and a lot of the shows that really stuck with me were people that were, first of all, very noticeably enjoying what they were doing. Like, even if they weren't moving or going crazy, you know, if, if somebody's like actively involved in the music they're playing and you can tell there's a real excitement there, that's one thing. And that that's the first kind of element of a good show for me. But also when, when a musician can connect with an audience, like I've got a friend that's talked to that, you know, we talked a while back about, uh, the Johnny Cash like prison records and how though. Yeah, they're great musically. And, you know, I love Johnny Cash and all that, but one of the things that sticks out is the, the way that his addressing the audience comes across as a, uh, 
it's a place of, of, you know, the artist and the audience being kind of equals. It's not, it's not like a VH1, you know, behind the music kind of, you know, him telling people it's like, there, there seems to be this relationship between the artist and the crowd where they're all in the room together and there is kind of a mutual enjoyment. And I know that's kind of a weird example comparing that to, you know, what my shows are like, but that's definitely something that I kind of latched onto early on. And I'm sorry if it's kind of a meandering answer, but um, oh no, definitely um, that, that connection of, you know, I can play songs. I can play songs in my room. In my house, people can listen to my songs in, in my room. And it's, it's the live show should be something more. It should be that connection and it should be that kind of, you know, that very visceral, like we're going to get in a room together and, and enjoy this and dance and laugh and talk and joke and all that, all, all of those things, you know? Do you ever find yourself having to manufacture that within yourself or does it, is it always something you're excited and open to like forming new connections with an audience. I'm going to say there are times I've had to manufacture it, uh, but they're primarily like kind of weird bar shows I've done on tour, you know, to, to make gas money or whatever, where you're playing two or three hours on like a, a pretty indifferent sports bar, like things like that. You have to kind of, you got to power through, you know, but um, most shows, I would say 95% of the shows I play, it's, there is a genuine excitement there. Like I've played some shows where there have been, you know, four people in the crowd, but if they're into it, like I- I'm going to be having as much fun with them as I would in a full room, you know? Yeah. I think um, some of that just comes from your genuineness, you know, your genuine fondness for the material and genuine you know, fondness for being there and, and being with people. And it just, it comes across in such a, such a great way. Even when you're like, uh, you know, promoting stuff on Facebook, it's just such a, such a joyful thing. Um, it's fun. You know, it's, it's, it's neat to watch. And like, as a, as a musician myself, I'm kind of jealous of it. Like I wish I was able to, um, just promote myself and put myself out there and seek, you know, seek the audience in a way, um, and be so comfortable with it. Uh, I admire it actually. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I definitely, I have my, I have my times of not being as outward. Like I don't really talk about being a musician or anything that I do. So like, like I don't really talk about it at work for, you know, when I'm, when I'm like teaching, like it came across, I think I told one of the teachers that I knew better at my, at the school I used to work at that I was a musician and it kind of spread and they're like, Oh, I heard you're in a rock band. And I always just say, Oh yeah, kind of, <laughs> you know, I just like, I don't really right. talk about it because it feels awkward. But, um, as far, you know, most people that know me on a personal level at this point met me as a music. I mean, just how it is. Like a lot of the people I'm the closest with now met me as a musician first. So it's kind of like a given, like they just know that or like the people that I have known for years, like, you know, they know that this is one of the, one of the main parts of my life. And so there is kind of comfort, a comfort with it. And, um, you know, as far as the Facebook posts, like it's fun, you know, like I, <laughs> <laughs> Where the, the diversion, the diversionary tactic, Facebook post, where did you, did you, um, did you devise this theory on your own or did you see that somewhere else? Um, so I used to work in an IT office at Ole Miss and I was 
we mostly did work between classes. So, you know, there'd be like an hour, hour and a half where you're just hanging out on computers. And I was watching a, uh, I randomly remembered Mecha Godzilla. And so I was watching a, a video of Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla, like a, a trailer or a clip or something. And I posted on Facebook, do y'all remember Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla? Anyway, I'm going to be in Memphis tonight playing at the high tone, just like a, an off the cuff thing. And it got so much more interaction than my normal promo posts. <laughs> and so a few months later, I was like, I'm just going to see if that'll work again. And here I am, you know, a few years down the line and those still get more attention than any straight ahead music post. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating to watch because I, you know, as a musician, I, it's like, I know why you're doing it. And I experience the frustration of seeing my straight, you know, just pure music posts, just kind of, you know, wither away unnoticed. Um, oh, mine do the same thing. Like if I just post about a record or a show, it's, it may get, you know, I'm talking 10 interactions is a big day for just saying like I'm playing a show tonight, you know? Yeah. But if I post a picture of my cat, Larry, then that it's like at least double the interactions, if not more. Yeah. That, which is weird because I know when I post other weird things, like I know people see it when I just post like, Hey, I'm playing a show tonight or Hey, I'm, you know, working on an album or whatever. Um, do you think it's, it's just that there there's so much saturation that there uh, that people are just unable they don't have the bandwidth to respond to every single thing they see even though they may you know if you ask them hey why didn't you respond to my thing they'd be like oh I totally meant to do you think it's just that that people are too oversaturated or or, or are you taking it personally and 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 writing down a list of future enemies Oh no, I um, you know, I think you make a good point that that there is kind of oversaturation, and especially with musicians and artists and people that make anything, I think there's an oversaturation of people saying, "Here's this thing I made, check it out." Where it's like, even even when I post something straight ahead, I notice that, and this, I you know, it is a genuine thing when I say like, I love these songs and I'm so excited to get them out, you know, so excited for people to hear them. And even those things get more interaction than just saying, I've got a record coming out. And I, I think that's a big thing. Like, obviously not manufacturing that, that positivity, but attaching that positivity and saying, this isn't just my product I want you to have. This is, you know, I'm excited to share these songs. I'm excited to, uh, you know, to get these ideas out or whatever. Even that is is a thing that gets more engagement, I've noticed. And so... I think you're right that there's a lot of saturation and I think that saturation has led to people looking for, for any other, uh, maybe not even looking for it, but responding to any, any deeper engagement, whether that's an emotional, you know, a, a, a very real, like I'm excited about this and people can tell that, or whether that's a, you know, a three paragraph post about, you know, me writing a storybook and then ending it with come to the show tonight. <laughs> Do you, I know that you're both a, you're a musician and a visual artist, but you're also a teacher. Um, do you have, is there one of those that you see as a, as your primary identity or do you see them all sort of kind of coexisting in harmony? Um, idealistically it's musician. Like when I think about myself, that that's what takes the most time in my life. I mean, I, I work on music every day. I'm jotting down song ideas every day. I play music every day. Um, artwork came as a, as a, uh, 
mostly as an accessory to music. You know, I, I, I do make artwork on its own, but normally it's for packaging or for flyers or whatever. And then teaching is like, history is my second favorite thing. And I, I read a lot more about history than I do about music. And so uh, it was a really good, a good thing for me to study and a good job to have because there's a lot of time off. I get to focus on my second favorite thing. And, you know, it's it's not that I view history and teaching history as an accessory to, to being a musician. It's just that it's like, it's my second favorite thing. So it's kind of, um, I figure it's where I should go professionally. <laughs> Do you think that there's a connection between um, your ability to connect as a performer with an audience and your ability to connect with students as a teacher? Uh, I'm going to say, I mean, there, there may be something there subconsciously that I, that I don't quite understand, but for me, it's a very different, it's a very different kind of connection. It's, um, you know, I mean, of course it's a different way that you're trying to convey to people, but with students, it's, I want to teach them this and I want to get them to connect with it. And as a history teacher, you know, I believe that, people should not only learn about the past, but I believe they should use history to kind of like actualize them, you know, where they are in their current lives and in the current world we live in. And there's, there's more philosophical weight to that for me than, than playing a show and people having, you know, feeling a connection to the songs or whatever. So I think that there could be something like personality wise that, that makes me, you know, do well at both of those things, but I don't really view them as, as one in the same with, with how I carry it out, you know? Yeah, I would I would think also with um with vulnerability there would be sort of, you know, different presentations for for uh for both teaching and performing. Yeah, and there's I mean with teaching I'm very much, you know, a kind of a a very new agey kind of thinker, or, you know, about making the classroom collaborative or whatever. But at the end of the day, there is still that idea that there has to be some semblance of authority. Whereas like, that's the exact opposite of what I, what I want to create in a, in a musical space, you know? Right. Right. What, I guess that's going to lead me to what I guess is going to be my last question. And that's what do you, what do you see yourself building? I know this is sort of hard to foresee in a pandemic, but, um, and so it's kind of hard to even imagine what the world's going to look like in a week, much less like a year. But um, what is it that you're trying to build for yourself? Like, where do you see yourself going as an artist and as a person? You know, that's really hard to say. Um, as a person, I, I just figure I'll keep rolling with the punches and keep doing the things that that make me happy and that I hope are putting good into the world. And as an artist, it's like, I'm just, I just got to keep making things. And um, I have been focusing a lot more on what my live show is going to look like when, when uh, things are open again and kind of planning, you know, planning ways to make the live show exciting and planning ways to, uh, to use this time, use this time constructively, you know, like getting my live set, you know, trying new things with live set and trying new things with visuals. Cause I haven't done a lot with, with visual stuff in a while live. And, um, has, has the pandemic rejiggered your, your planning process? I mean, like, you know, as far as, you know, recording, releasing records, uh, you know, obviously touring, but those other things, um, not a ton. One big thing, and this came with the structure of teaching and knowing, you know, kind of having a steady schedule, but one big thing is, um, 
allowing myself not to work on music, especially with all the free time. Like it, it was a big thing with finally having a structured schedule, but then it really came with having so much free time because I was always a person like my whole life, you know, my whole life making music has been, it's been constant. Like you listen to music to get inspiration. You watch movies to get inspiration. You read books to get inspiration. You sit in your room and you, you know, play with a keyboard or play with a guitar or a drum machine and try to make something work. And that was great for a long time, but now I have to, uh, I've learned how to kind of structure it differently where it's like, if I don't absolutely want to work on music, I won't do it. Like I'll get up and I'll watch TV or I'll read a book or, you know, I'll listen to something that doesn't sound anything like what I want to make. Um, and it kind of, uh, it, in a weird way though, it's helped me to be a lot more proactive when I'm working on music and I'm working on music so much more productively now. Because if I want, if I'm working on music now, it's because I absolutely want to do it. And like, it's not that I don't, you know, I still do it every day, but if an idea is not happening, I don't sit there and keep pushing it for an hour. I get up and go do something else because I have the time, you know, like it's, it's just open. And, um, basically having that free time has allowed me to, to take time away from music when I don't feel like it. So I don't, I don't force myself to work. You know, I still work on music every day, but I don't spend an hour or two hours. If if an idea is not happening, I don't stare at my notebook and I don't, you know, sit there with a synth or a guitar and try to keep making it yeah. work. I'm just like, I'm going to go read independently. I'm going to watch TV independently. I'm going to listen to music that, you know, normally I listen to music as a means for inspiration, but it's like, I'm going to listen to something that I'm not trying to, to chase like production wise right now. Um, you know, it's right. just kind of... I've learned to structure it where I only work on music when I want to. And as a result, I've been so much more productive and that's been a big thing of having so much free time. Yeah. I, I, something I've been working on is I think it's important to be intentional about making music and to, you know, sort of, you know, schedule it and not just, you know, let the, you know, always just, you know, try to let the spirit guide you, but it's also um, in balance important to be intentional about taking time away from it and not overworking yourself and putting too much pressure on yourself to constantly be, you know, in my case, writing new songs, making podcasts and, you know, creating a life, but you know, whatever, whatever it is you're trying to do. Oh yeah. See, that's, I would definitely agree with you that, I mean, you have to, you have to balance it. Cause again, like I still work every single day on music, but I also don't, I'm not near as, um, I used to be really hard about it. You know, I would be like, I've got to do this. I got to figure out a chord progression. You know, I was very on top of it and I still work on music every day, but I might be focused on, you know, I'm like, I want to go put a synth part on this song and I'll go do that. And then I'll come away for two hours and do something else. And then I'll hear something else I want to go put in the song and I'll run to the room and work on it. And like, so I'm still very, uh, very deliberate in my time making music, but I also don't force it when it's not there. And again, like, I don't want to undermine how much, I mean, I'm still, I still spend at least one to two hours, if not more on the average day recording or writing parts or whatever, you know, making synth patches. But, uh, I've definitely learned how to balance that out a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, the music is just so much better when you're not, you know, constantly wringing it from a sponge or whatever, and you're just letting it flow naturally. Um, absolutely. Well, um, Ben, I feel good about this. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to get in? Do you want to do you want to plug the album? Oh yeah, um, 
Songs for Ruined X-Rays is basically everywhere you stream music except for uh, Pandora for some reason, but I only know like three Pandora listeners. Um, I didn't even know, I didn't even know Pandora was still a thing. Oh, my dad, my dad is bumping Pandora like all the time. But um, I, uh, it's everywhere you can, can – stream. well, most places you can stream music. Uh, physical copies are made to order. There's still a couple deluxe packages left, and all that money goes to uh, Black Lives Matter Memphis. Um, I'm working on a Halloween EP, and I would just say for uh, if people are interested to follow me on socials and just kind of keep uh, you know, keep posted because I'm always working on something, whether it's artwork or music or – you know, sometimes I'll just be working on synth patches and I'll put up sounds and, you know, that'll be it. But yeah, I would just say, uh, check out the record and, and follow me on whatever you follow people on. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good follow people. Uh, thanks Ben. All right. That was me and Ben. Good conversation. I thought, and Hey, instead of my usual closing music, we're going to end the show this week with a song off Ben's new album songs for ruined x-rays. And the song is called wires. But first, I just got to thank Arthur with two H's for the theme music, as always. Thank you to my guest this week, Ben Ricketts. Thank you for listening. And if you can, please visit patreon.com slash JD and become a supporter of the show. Please and thank you. And now, here's Wires by Ben Ricketts. Just go away